Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. We've got a special show today for the 2000th episode of Industry Focus. That's 400 weeks of shows. That's 1,000 hours of programming, hundreds of different stocks discussed. We've learned a lot along the way. And this week, we've got a special roundtable edition of the show with all our industry-focused hosts to talk about what we've learned. Also, we'll share a recent stock we've bought and why we like it. Uh, Joining me today are my fellow industry-focused hosts, Emily Flippin, Jason Moser, and Dylan Lewis. Y'all, welcome. Addy. Hey, Nick. Hey, now. To quote Jason Moser, 2K. <laughs> Unbelievable, guys. That's a lot. That's a lot. It, it adds up, and it's a testament to compounding. We talk about that here. You do one show a day over time. These numbers get big uh, slowly, but surely. You know, uh, I, I've been here uh, since this 2018 for three years of that. Obviously, wanna, there, there's some hosts that came before us, Michael Douglas, Christine Hargis, Shannon Jones, lots of folks. But you got the four of us here today. Uh, just off the bat, obviously, doing this show week after week, looking at all these different stocks, speaking publicly about them, having to go on the record. It teaches you a lot. I know it's taught me a lot. Uh, How would you say that you've changed or what are some big lessons that you've learned uh, since you started hosting Industry Focus? Maybe let's lead off with Jason, Monday, first day of the week. Let's let Jason go first here uh, on this roundtable. Yeah, sure thing. Um, to me, this is uh, I've been hosting the financial show now for three years, and uh, having been with the company for eleven years, and and being uh, you know part of Market Foolery all that time and Motley Fool Money, I was always the guest, right? I mean, I would prepare for shows as the guest. I mean, I, I'm, the questions are being asked, and I'm helping to answer them. This was really uh, turning the tables, right? Sort of uh, to quote Michael Scott, how the turntables. Uh, you know, I mean, this was, I, I, it, it took a little while for me to get used to actually being a host, um, and, and asking the questions, but I do, I do need to give a, a big shout out to my partner in crime, Matt Frankel. I mean, it, it, he joins me every Monday with the exception of maybe just a handful of shows over the years that he's, uh, not been on. Um, I really, I really do enjoy the conversations that we have and he, he's a wonderful guest and he has taught me how to be a host. I'm not going to say I'm a good host, but I feel like I'm getting used to it at least. And uh, and so that's been a lot of fun. And then really for me, just being able to expand my circle of competence, so to speak. I mean, I've always known a bit about the financials sector, but he's really helped me dig into it deeper. I've learned a lot about REITs, uh, more recently about SPACs. I mean, Matt is a wealth of knowledge and he's just been a wonderful partner uh, all of these Mondays. And, and so that's uh, that's been a lot of fun. All right, let's go down the line. Emily, Tuesday. Well, I think the biggest lesson I learned is that I'm a little too much of a curmudgeon. Um, so coming on to the Industry Focus podcast, bringing this really high level of skepticism, I'm really living the tale that you know being a pessimist may sound smart, but optimists make more money. And as I reflect on so many amazing consumer goods opportunities that I've missed out on because I was such a skeptic, I was such a pessimist about the business, it definitely pays off more to be an optimist. And that's still a lesson I'm learning. If, if frequent listeners of the Consumer Goods Podcast know anything, I still approach stuff very negatively sometimes. It's my inherent reaction. But taking it a step further, learning to be an optimist, learning to be positive, that's by far the biggest lesson I've learned as part of Industry Focus. 
Emily, it's so hard though because pessimism does sound so smart, and I think it's you know trust but verify is is unfortunately the way to go. But it, yeah, it, it opens you up, and you realize over a certain amount of time, like yeah, you have to just accept a certain amount of I I don't know, but I I want to believe in this thing um, because more often than not, that that winds up being a pretty decent outlook to have. Undoubtedly, absolutely. Yeah, I'd say for me, uh, you know, maybe along those lines, I've gotten a lot more. I mean, it's humbling to talk about stocks every week, uh, uh, you know, for over the course of a year, because you'll see these stories come and come and go. I think there's some things that I think would have fizzled out a lot faster uh, than they have, and I, I've been humbled that way. And there's some things that I thought would be the next big thing uh, that didn't materialize uh, in the way that you think. I think being married to a, to a weekly show, you, to a certain extent, you are uh, talking about what's in the news, the headlines week to week. And it's funny to look back uh, and see some things that have changed. I remember we talked about uh, GameStop in early June 2019 around, uh, you know, maybe this thing isn't going bankrupt. And then, of course, it becomes uh, the biggest meme uh, we've ever heard of uh, here in, uh, what, back uh, early, earlier this year. Um, so uh, it's humbling, right? Following stocks uh, week after week, year after year, uh, it's humbling. That's part of the game. Uh, but if you're right, two-thirds of the time, you end up making a whole lot of money. That's the good thing about uh, playing this game. Nick, I'll, I'll piggyback on that with mine. I mean, I, I think doing something for years, you, you start to realize um, – what the day in and day out looks like and how really there are the news items that come into the, into the fold, but uh, what drives the results long-term and what you wind up keep coming back to, you know, each quarter um, is, is the numbers. And over time you start to see what stories actually matter and when those stories materialize in a way that really drives the business forward. And I know for me, um, you know, I, I've been uh, someone who's owned individual stocks for seven years and a host of industry focused for six. Um, I'm a far better host and analyst now than I was back then. And, and a big part of it is I, I have always, to some extent, understood and believed in the long-term buy and hold quality businesses become compounding machines. But you start to see that play out much more over a three five, in my case, six-year horizon, uh, quality separates, and it starts to separate in a really dramatic way once you give it a decent runway. Um, and that's where you start to see the difference between the news stories that occupy headlines short-term and the trends that really occupy major gains long-term. Yeah, I love it. So, so maybe going off what, what both Dylan and, and I talked about, you know, we've covered lots of stories uh, while we've been on this show, but are there any stories that stand out to you as, man, this one uh, really illustrates uh, uh, some lessons that, that uh, really uh, resonate with you as an investor going forward, maybe uh, should resonate with some of our listeners. Emily, we'll let you go first this time, and, uh, and we'll let Jason uh, kind of clean up for us. Well, this is easy because I've actually, I think I'm the most green out of all the industry focused hosts. I only came on to the Consumer Goods uh, podcast at the beginning of 2020. My first episode with y'all was actually a roundtable at the end of 2019, uh, decade in review, if memory serves. And right after coming on, a lot of people will be familiar with the fact that only a few months in a pandemic hit and the world changed for consumer goods companies. So maybe there's a bit of recency bias in this and calling out the pandemic as the story that stands out to me. But as somebody who is still getting up to speed on the consumer goods industry, it did flip on its head the way that I had to analyze these businesses because the narrative around what makes a successful consumer goods business dramatically changed in literally a matter of days to weeks. So that definitely stands out to me. 
Yeah, I think pandemic, uh, lots of lessons learned for me. I think that ties into what I said earlier on, of just how quickly things can change. And I think as a new investor, you underestimate, I guess, maybe how slow some things change and then how quickly um, other things do change. For me, uh, so you mentioned kind of being new on the show. Well, when I was new on the show, it was back in 2018. I don't know if folks remember the world back then, uh, but that was funding secured time. That was the Model 3 ramp. So I think that, that very much kind of shaped <laughs> my experience uh, uh, coming on to the podcast. That was really kind of the time in the desert uh, uh, for Tesla, this 2017. 2019 uh, uh, period. And, you know, Elon Musk himself said, hey, we were, quote, weeks away from bankruptcy. If you'd have told me at that time that the stock uh, coming into January 2020, from January 2020 to today, stock's up 800%. This is like a $600 billion plus company. Back at that time, you know, you heard, you heard Jim Cramer and people like me saying that this company, uh, I, I don't know if they're going down uh, the right path. I don't know, uh, you know, if, uh, if this is the stock I, I'd want to buy. And then lo and behold, uh, this is one of the best performers on the market. It's one of those things uh, where, there's lots of headlines that get attention, uh, but there's only some headlines that end up mattering uh, to to a stock's performance or or, or, or to a, you know the relevant investor base. Um, and I think Tesla's a great example of that. Uh, of if, if you had a, if you had just paid attention uh, myop- myopically to some of the uh, the craziness going on um, on the side uh, with that company, you never would have predicted what happened. And I think uh, I am not alone in being very humbled by the Tesla story. Yeah, Nick, I'll hop in there. You, you cited 800% gains since then. Uh, you just cited my opportunity cost. I wound up selling out uh, of, of my Tesla shares uh, shortly after funding secured and, and the talk of going private. Um, and, and part of it for me was I have a hard time understanding what to believe out of management's mouth with this company. Um, and, and it just became harder and harder for me to, to trust it and, and own shares. Uh, that's proven to be a really bad thesis uh, and, and something that was actively really destructive. It, for my own peace of mind, was helpful, but I left a lot of money on the table. That. Maybe so. I, you know, I will say though. I mean, I, you make a good point because I, I've had people ask me about Tesla before and investing in Tesla. And to me, I mean, I never invested in Tesla. I've never owned it. Um, I pull for it one hundred percent because I feel like that's the direction the world is headed. Um, but for me, like I, I simply am not. I do not. I have a level of comfort with Elon Musk as a, as a CEO. I mean, I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. Now, that's not to say he's a bad person, right? But the guy, you know, perhaps if he didn't have Twitter, it would be different because his voice would be somewhat muted. But he says a lot of stuff. Some of it's spot on. Some of it, it sounds like he's already in outer space. Uh, but maybe you left some money on the table there. But maybe that also. I mean, you're a better investor for it one way or the other. And you know, you talk about opportunity cost. I mean, I'm sure that you were able to invest that money in other businesses, and, and those have done well as well. So, I, you know, it is it is easy to see, man. I left some money on the table, but you know, you stuck to your process too. And as as foolish investors, as longer term investors, I mean, we we really do feel like the process is what matters most. I mean, the outcome isn't always going to be the way you you hope. Uh, it, it, it turns out, but but that doesn't mean the process is bad. It's just the way investing works, right? It's not always you're not going to bat a thousand. I think we've all kind of come to that realization. That's charitable, Jason, and I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hey, listen. I left money on the table too, but it, a lot of a lot of it was because of what you just said. You said trust. I mean, that's the word that comes to my mind. I just don't trust him. It's not to say I don't believe in what he's doing. I believe that what he's doing is the right thing. He just he, he if he just if he would just tone it down a little bit maybe that would make it easier for people to trust him but but I mean it's understandable that people have a hard time making that leap. Yeah, I, I think for me this this kind of dovetails into my story of of the time that I've been doing the show and it is WeWork. I mean it yeah, is that's a great example. 
That is one of the craziest things I have ever seen. I can't imagine that I will see anything like it in terms of the reduction of valuation. And there are there are so many interesting lessons for investors. One of them, I think, transitioning from talking about Musk to now WeWork and Adam Newman, is the, the cult of personality and the founder-led business storyline. The, the brilliance and eccentric line is very, very thin. And as an investor on the outside, it can be very, very hard to tell the difference. Yeah. And so that's why it's okay sometimes to just say, you know what? I'm going to take a pass. Yeah. And and you just kind of have to work that into your outlook and know, you know, you're not going to catch them all. Yep. Uh, you know, you can't, can't play Pokemon with stocks. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jason, I think you're up. Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's just been really fun watching this uh, sort of changing of the guard from the stereotypical uh, stodgy bank that we're all so familiar with, that, that we all grew up with, or most of us grew up with, um, compared to, to what we're seeing in the fintech space. I mean, fintech has taken the world by storm. And um, I mean, some of these some of these companies make a lot of sense in what they're doing. Some of them, maybe they're going to prove to, to not uh, contribute as much value as they as they believe. But uh, yeah, I remember going through um, Jamie Dimon's shareholder letter, I believe it was with JP Morgan this year. And, and, and he had a he had a, a, a two lists side by side, essentially comparing banks to fintechs and the advantages of one over the other. And it's been fascinating just to watch this push and pull of banks and fintechs uh, working together. You're seeing fintechs taking share from traditional banks. You're seeing companies like Square and PayPal uh, and so forth with their lending. Um, it, you know, it, it is it is going to be very interesting to see here in the future how the banking landscape actually shakes shakes out. Because I mean, certainly I mean, Jamie Dimon, to my mind, is is the best CEO in the, in the finance space. I mean, he's smartest guy, most experienced. He's, he's he knows a lot. I mean, he he certainly sees the the threats that come from the fintech space, and, and I feel like. You know, deep inside, he's wishing that maybe they had the wherewithal to try to acquire Square or PayPal back in the day when it was a bit more feasible. I mean, clearly those are just uh, those are pipe dreams now. But this is going to be a story I think that we watch continue to play out here over the next decade and perhaps beyond. Is just how this how this finance how this banking landscape is going to change um, because it certainly is changing. Jason, I'm I'm curious. You are like Mr. Basket at the Fool, and your your war on cash <laughs> basket is, I think, the the stuff of legends at this point. Did did you have any sense when you started with that that branding for that and that idea that it would create as many winners as it has? Because it's really been incredible. I, well, I didn't. I mean, I you know that really that entire idea was born from. Uh, Every quarter, Chris Hill and I would be uh, doing market foolery and talking about the earnings results of these four companies, MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, and Square. And every quarter, these companies just knocking it out of the park and being like, and, and at the end of the taping, we would look at each other and be like, oh, do you own that stock? And would be like, no, I don't own it. And be like, yeah, I don't either. And eventually, it was like, why the hell don't we own these stocks, man? I mean, what's the deal? And it, it, part of the problem was, well, who do you? what's the better, what's the better company to buy? And, and I thought, Man, I I don't know that there is a better one. To me, it just it strikes me as a massive market opportunity, and and typically with massive market opportunities, there are going to be multiple winners. Um, and it just became apparent that you know those four were the most forward thinking of the bunch, so to speak. And um and and so it's it's 
it's worked out well. Um, I, I feel like it's it's a fun way to kind of build your own little fund and personalize your own investing style. Um, and I, I certainly still own all four stocks myself today, uh, and I think I'll own them indefinitely, hopefully. Um, but yeah, it's worked out well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that I've borrowed from you. You're know, talking about lessons, like the idea that you don't necessarily have to have the individual winner for any space, and saying you know it, it's okay to decide that this is probably something that's going to lift a lot of companies up and. It's nice to have three bets in that space. Well, I think it makes great content for us to pick a winner, <laughs> right? It it's does. great. It's a great headline to name the winner of this opportunity. The reality is, and I think most out there would agree. I mean, investing is rarely a zero sum game. I mean, typically when you're talking about companies uh, disrupting markets, pursuing these big market opportunities, you're going to have you're going to have a handful of companies that do really well. So yeah, I, I've I've come to find that's one of the bigger lessons I've learned throughout my investing life is you really don't have to try to pick one winner. I mean, find some good companies and just invest in them because big market opportunities. There's a lot to go around. All right, so so we're talking about uh, market opportunities. We mentioned off the top of the show uh, that we would talk about a recent stock that we've bought and why. Uh, so let's do that. Uh, Dylan, we'll let you go first um, on this. And what's a recent stock you've bought and why? So uh, you can get the the full thesis breakdown here in, in our recent episode. I, I'm going to be talking about Spotify. Uh, so I pitched this recently. And I, I am... I'm trying to get over the hump sometimes of I love something as a consumer and I don't own it as an investor. Um, I have missed out on a lot of really great businesses that way uh, and sold businesses too early that I shouldn't have. Um, you know that that I still had really you know strong consumer interest in. And so I think that the short thesis for me with Spotify is you have this incredibly sticky digital offering um, that absolutely delights consumers. It's at a critical mass, even though there's comp- competitive pressure, it's not going anywhere. The core economics of their music streaming business and the paid premium model is is honestly not great. I think it, it, it's kind of hard for them, and there, there's some pricing power issues. Uh, they don't have a lot of control over their costs because of the agreements that they're in. But that's the floor, is you have this really sticky business. On top of that, I think they're going to become a major player in audio advertising. We're starting to see that segment for them really ramp up, and I think it's going to offer much more attractive margins for them as they're able to scale it and really enjoy some leverage. Um, and it could really dramatically change the way that that business's financials look. And so I think you've got a really nice sticky product at core with the upside of you know possibly the YouTube of audio advertising. And we know that advertising is a very compelling, very high margin business to be in. Love it. That's Spotify is on the list of companies that like I don't own. Probably like too obvious, I guess. You know, you know, companies that it seems too obvious that like you don't feel smart buying it, and so you stay away from it. And uh, that is a big lesson learned for me as like I've, I've matured as an investor. Is like you don't have to look under every single rock. Sometimes, sometimes it's right in front of you, uh, and, and it's very obvious. And Spotify is one of those. It's been right in front of me, and I've never bought it. And uh, maybe someday soon I will. I'm tr- I'm trying to take that same lesson, Nick, and it comes from not having ever bought Netflix, despite being a delighted consumer of their products and uh, you know their content for a really long time. You know, you don't get style points in investing. You know, if if it's a good idea, you're good to go. <laughs> All right, Jason, what's your stock? Yeah, the one I most recently bought, uh, just bought it last week, so I just am actually able to now talk about it. Um, but a company called C3AI. Uh, ticker is AI, and as as 
most of y'all know, the services I run here at, at The Fool focus on immersive technology and 5G and connectivity and the digital economy that's developing from all that. And so machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, immersive technology, all of those are opportunities that I, that I study. And, and C3AI, it's relatively new to the public markets, but a fascinating business focused on artificial intelligence. And they, they take a little bit of a different approach uh, in they, they have sort of a model-based uh offering for their customers. And their customers are enterprises, right? They're selling uh, their AI technology to businesses to help businesses incorporate artificial intelligence into their uh, into their work uh, and, and, and to, to help them ultimately achieve better outcomes. And so, to me, it's... When it went public, I mean, you look at the stock chart, you can see there was a lot of speculation immediately when it went public. I mean, the stock just took off, and now it's come back down to earth, and the valuation was one one thing. that, that That's kind of what really got me to pull the trigger. Uh, but but I feel like with, with their model-based approach, um, and then the importance, I think, that artificial intelligence is going to continue to play in our lives and in, in, in the role of, of businesses as time goes on. Um, again, a very big market opportunity. I think that I think that C3 AI is going to be one of those companies that really helps uh, bring uh, strong artificial intelligence capability to more and more businesses around the world. Uh, so, so to me, you know, they've got that nice subscription model. It's one of those SaaS businesses, and uh, it seems like it's it's one that uh, has a lot of opportunity in front of it. Love it, uh, Emily. Well, Nick, you're probably going to think that I'm the host of the Energy Show after I tell you what stock I've most recently bought. Uh, but this is actually me taking a, a lesson here from Jason's motto of a basket approach to industry. So this is a business that I bought and my approach to a basket of cannabis exposure businesses. And it's actually Chart Industries. The ticker is GTLS. I bought it, I think, a month, month and a half ago. Uh, Chart Industries, I think a lot of people will know it because it's a legacy play on the natural natural gas industry. But in reality, their CEO, Jill Ivanko, has been turning the business around since she took the helm in 2018, making a lot of really interesting investments across numerous different initiatives in the green energy space. A lot of those do play into the cannabis industry. Uh, and without getting into a long tailwind about how exactly that plays out, it also gets into things like lasers and cryogenic equipment. It's actually a really cool really interesting business. Um, it was brought to my attention by John Connell, who is actually the ticker guide. So a member of the Motley Fool community who keeps an eye on the business. He pinged me and was like, hey, when was the last time you looked at Chart Industries? And it has been an absolute monster of a business. I will say if people pull it up, they might see the stock price chart and think to themselves, wow, that's way too expensive to purchase. But if you look on a relative basis on something like an EV to EBITDA, the ratios actually come down a bit because of how profitable these new ventures have been. So uh, a great business, an interesting play on the, the energy industry. I love it. I think we, we I did an episode uh, with Jason Hall on chart industries in the past. Folks could, uh, could look up that episode if they wanted to uh, check it out. So uh, my most recent stock purchase is Nelnet. Uh, that's another um, another uh, stock we've done an episode on. I believe it was back in May uh, with myself and Jim Gillies. Uh, Nelnet, primary business, student loan servicing. Uh, They're my student loan um, servicer. Basic thesis on this company is that you've got this pool of, of student loans uh, that the company is slowly amortizing that creates cash that they can re then redeploy in other businesses. Most recently, they started Nelnet Bank. They've also uh, have a, a fiber to the home business. Uh, the company trades at about um, at about book value, and I think that that's um, undervalued some of those those new investments. The real interesting part of the business 
For me, though, where I think it, there, there, there's lots of hidden values, they own 20% of a company called Huddle. Huddle uh, helps provide uh, kind of film services and and, and, um, and kind of helps you uh, share clips for like high schools and things like that. So if you have a high school and you want to go uh, uh, watch your, your child play sports when they're playing the road game, Huddle uh, sells packages to schools uh, as well as additional um kind of software services as well. Why is that interesting? Well, anybody uh, who has paid attention to any episodes I've done knows that I like college football and I follow it very closely. We've just had a big regulatory change in college football starting in July of this year, allowing for name, image, and likeness uh, monetization by players. In a world where players can monetize their name, image, and likeness, doesn't it become more valuable than ever to market yourself as a high school athlete and to get every possible clip and, uh, and, and piece of content that you can post on your social media platforms to both gain a following and get recruited to the biggest brands in the country so that you can monetize your name, image, and likeness. I think uh, this uh, this company is going to be worth multi-billions of dollars, and Nelnet's uh, 20% stake is going to be worth a large amount of money. Therefore, if you look at the, the book value today, I think it's too cheap, and uh, that's why I bought it. So that's Nelnet for you, and I would recommend folks go in to look at that uh, episode to get more of the story. Nick, is, is that a, a Berkshire-like thesis with Nelnet? where they're, they operate in financial services and they're able then to take the money from those financial services and find really compelling investment opportunities? Yes, they're actually based uh, in Nebraska as well. Also, uh, family control, the executive chairman owns over 20% of the stock. There's another uh, Buffett connection. So Adam Peterson of... Uh, that's uh, Boston Omaha. He through his uh, Magnolia Group owns about five percent of the stock. Uh, so you got Buffett's. I guess I think it's his grand nephew uh, is one of the largest investors in the company. So there's a few different uh, Berkshire connections. So same same basic type of uh, premise. That's pretty cool. I got to put that one on my radar. Haven't heard of it yet. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so there, there's our pick. So I got uh, Nelnet, Spotify from Dylan, C3 AI from Jason, and Shark Industries from Emily. Okay. So just going to wrap up the main part of our show. Before we go, I want to give some shout outs to all the folks who have helped us out uh, through the history of the show. I mentioned off the top, you know, lots of hosts that have came before us, Christine Hargis, Michael Douglas, Shannon Jones, Sarah Priestley, I believe Gabby LaPera, a bunch of folks uh, who came before us. Who do y'all want to kind of call out uh, before we hit the road? Dylan? Um, I'll, I'll give a shout out to some frequent listeners of the show and folks who regularly write in uh, Max, the comrade on Twitter gives us some great ideas. We wind up regularly talking about companies he throws our way. And I'll give a shout out to Mike McMahon, AKA pro shop guy in fool live uh, providing really awesome breakdowns of so much of the content we do at the fool. Um, also, I mean, I think we, we can't talk podcasts without giving some love to Chris Hill, Matt Greer, Steve Broido, all the fools behind the scenes for the past decade plus that the fool has been doing podcasting. Um, we would not hear, be here doing the show today uh, if they hadn't started making those little investments early on to see what we might be able to do in this space. I have to throw Tim Sparks in there as well, because I'll tell you what, Tim makes me sound way smarter than I actually am. Thanks for all of his you know, work behind the scenes here on Industry Focus. But I also have to thank each of you, especially you, Dylan, because y'all let me cross the bounds of what a consumer goods business is way more often than probably is appropriate. So thank you in advance for letting me expand that definition. I don't know that we adhere to the strictest definitions of industry standards uh, <laughs> with this show. And you know what? I think we're better for it. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get technical, the S&P classification for basically every solar company we've talked about on, uh, on the energy show is technically tech. So, so there you go. We're breaking rules left, right, and center. Uh, Jason, anybody you want to- sh- I got to let you guys have yeah. something. Jason, anybody you want to shout out? 
Uh, just another tip of the cap to Matt Frankel, my partner in crime on Mondays. I mean, he's just been just been a terrific, uh, terrific partner for these shows. And I've had a lot of fun working with him, and and I, I absolutely second all all of those all of those names that you mentioned, and Chris and Mac and Broido and Dan and Tim and Austin. I mean, the none of this happens without them, and and I've I've you know I've learned so much from working with. Tim are working with Chris and and Mac and Broido just so early on with Foolery and Motley Fool Money. I mean that that really that that's that's where I learned everything was Mark and Foolery and Motley Fool Money. They they just uh, I'm with you, Dylan. It was it was so great to see that they had the wherewithal to, to plant those seeds so early on and give give this a, a run to see what we could do in the podcast landscape. And you fast forward to today, I mean those investments have just paid off. Uh, in 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 amount that's just very difficult to quantify, right? I mean, they thought podcasts were cool before podcasts were even a thing, and now look where we are. The greatest multi bagger was waiting your podcast queue the whole time, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you got it. One last group we didn't mention that I think is the most important group, right? The listeners, right? If folks didn't listen, we wouldn't be doing the podcast, and, and hopefully, uh, folks will stick around. Uh, for 2,000 more with us. One thing I thought about, we talked about all the lessons that we learned. I'm sure folks who've been listening along with uh, with us ha- have learned a ton too. If you've got anything you want to share with us or topics we should discuss next time on the show, you can email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Till next time, guys, 2,000 more episodes to go. Hopefully we can all be there for that. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks, guys. See ya. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For Emily Flippin, Jason Moser, and Dylan Lewis, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.